Good. Oh, hello, Kloofies. It is so good to be up here with you. Uh, if you are visiting here, uh, I'm Ross, and uh, it, is, it is such a privilege to, to be with you. And the, the first morning service was so different. There were just babies everywhere. So uh, I'm still trying to cope with the fact that this is qu- quite a different service. But I want you to, to just imagine where I'm going today is in, in this series. We're going we're to try and untap how God's thinking about life at the moment. We're gonna, that's where we're going to go. But in order to do that, I have to kind of name where we're at. And uh, if you have survived Durban over the last two years, you actually just have to almost give yourself a clap. You just have to go, I survived, I'm flipping amazing. That's, that's basically where you're at. Because let's face it, whilst the rest of the world was worried about what was happening in Ukraine, we were fetching our houses out of rivers. And, uh, and when they were worried about, when the rest of South Africa was worried about things like um, electricity, we, we were barricading and protecting. Like, we have gone through some stuff. Teenagers, we've got a guy called Greg in the lounge. If you're a teenager, please feel free to get up and go to Greg in the lounge. I'll even take you there. If any teenagers, I'm so sorry. There's some dads who's wanting to go. I haven't done stress. I've been in, I've been interrupted for lots of things, never for teenagers. But anyway. Uh, we have, we have gone through so much over a period of time. And what, we, what we're actually trying to do is we are trying to lead people and often ourselves out of a pandemic. Now, because if you've kind of survived Durban over the last two years, you, you're Navy SEAL trained. That's, that's basically the standard you got up to. I mean, I, I actually that if we wanted to end the Ukraine-Russian thing, all we'd do is take 4.5 million people from Durban and chuck them into Ukraine. And uh, the Russians coming in to loot, would, would, they would hit something they've never hit before. They'd try and starve us of water, we can do that. they try and starve us of electricity, we've got that covered. Wi-Fi, oh, it doesn't matter. Uh, and, and then we would send, we've also got looters, so we would send them to get some tanks. Like, we would... We would annihilate Russia in such a short period of time. It would, it would be phenomenal. But uh, we have gone through such intense pain that leading ourselves out and leading others out requires wisdom. I, uh, I, uh, in April, when the, when the floods came through, the week before, I had decided, because it never rains in April, to um, develop a piece of property behind my house. And so I got a TLB in, and we cut this property, and I was so excited about this property, looking at it. We brought in about 132 cubes of soil to get up to this part of the property. And, uh, and then on the Monday, I think, it started raining. And then it just kept raining and raining and raining. And I watched as my property came and jeweled with me in my pool and uh, into my shower and came through every single room. And um, I've got a trampoline, and there was this much soil on top of my trampoline. And, uh, and we had to dig it all out. And, and uh, I actually got nostalgic through the process because I come from a real African com- country where nothing works. And, uh, and so the, the thought of, like, getting water out of the pool, which most of you were able to do, mine was mud, but getting water out of your pool and showering with it and all of that, it like brought back happy memories of my life in Zimbabwe and, uh, and no electricity, like I, I felt good, but it got, the soil got into my wife's emotions 
And, uh, and she didn't appreciate it quite as much as, as I did. And so with, with that kind of background to what just happened to me, I, I thought to myself, God, how do I shift my heart and my family's heart into a life of freedom? And I realized God started speak, speaking to me about perspective. Now, again, when you come from a different African country, if you come from Mozambique and Tanzania and Zambia or Zimbabwe, you see policemen very differently to how South Africans see policemen. I realized this um, when, when I first came down. I was driving with a friend. He was driving about 140 kilometers an hour, and, um, and he got pulled over. And when he got pulled over, the first thing he said is, there's something wrong with your machine. And at this time, my eyes started to grow larger because if you did that in Zim, you would, you would shortly be put into a prison. Like, it's just you don't argue with policemen in Zimbabwe. And, and he came out with a statement. There's something wrong with your machine. And then the guy gave it back to him, and then he gave it back to him. And I was watching, and my anxiety was just going up and up and up and up because of, of my context, because of how I saw the world. Anyway, he, they kept on arguing and arguing and arguing. And, and what I realized is that I didn't see this right. This was not an argument. This was a negotiation. And, uh, and at the end of the negotiation, money was exchanged and everybody walked away happily. And I realized this is a different country. We're in a different world. In fact, I was stopped the other day just outside of church. I just finished preaching in the evening. A lady stops me, says, where's your driver's license? I reach for it, can't find it. It had somehow crept under the, the chair. Anyway, I'm looking for it everywhere. Eventually, she says to me, sweetie, now, I've never been called sweetie by any policeman. She says, sweetie, I think I'm going to have to find me. And then she find me with a smile on her face. It's just different here. How you see things, how you see your reality, will severely affect your ability to cope with it. And if you have a kingdom mindset on your reality, you will realize that what looks like mayhem is actually prophecy. And what looks like I can't cope with, you've actually been empowered for. And what seems like so out of control and not how I thought this thing should happen, God's actually been preparing you for for years. And so I want to shift your mind today, and I want you to start thinking like the king. And so I'm going to look at a guy by the name of Solomon, lived a couple of thousand years before Christ, and uh, was known as the wisest man on the earth. And uh, let me show you a picture of Solomon's palace. This is actually, someone in Brazil went, hey, let's just build ourselves a temple like Solomon. So this is a real building in Brazil that is a picture of the temple of Solomon that was built thousands of years ago. Can you imagine how extraordinarily beautiful it must have been for those people who'd never seen anything like this. If you've been to Jerusalem, they have white stones everywhere. That temple wouldn't have been built with plaster and nice paint. It would have been built with white stones. And those columns would have been carved out of marble. And the beauty of it would have been so extraordinary that you would have said to yourself, there can be no greater glory than this if you'd lived when Solomon lived. You know where that beauty came from? Wisdom. Everything Solomon did, he did from wisdom. So it says about his palace, 
that it would take for every day, they would have 5,000 tons of meal and 11,000 tons of wheat, and they would, ha- they would slaughter 30 head of cattle, and they would slaughter 100 sheep, and on top of that would be some game. Th- this was what wisdom did. It created such bounty and prevalence of life that the queen of Sheba looked and went, this is unbelievable. In fact, it says that Solomon in his heyday made silver as common in Jerusalem as stones. He spoke 3,000 proverbs, which is like more than Paul Taylor. And his songs numbered 1,005. He was like Justin Bieber on steroids. He understood every niche of creation, from trees to animals and birds, reptiles and fish, from all nations. People came to listen to Solomon's wisdom, sent by all the kings of the world who had heard of his wisdom. And this is the guy who writes. He writes this. If, if you were to listen to the wisest person in the world, you would want to know what his core belief is. And this is what he says. Joyful is the person who finds wisdom, the one who gains understanding. For wisdom is more profitable than silver, and her wages are better than gold. Wisdom is more precious than rubies. Nothing you desire can compare with her. She offers you long life in her right hand and riches and honor in her left. She will guide you down delightful paths. All her ways are satisfying. Wisdom is a tree of life to those who embrace her. Happy are those who hold her tightly. By wisdom, hear this. By wisdom, the Lord founded the earth. How, How did God make it? How did God create? Wisdom. It was the basis. By understanding, he created the heavens. By his knowledge, the deep fountains of the earth burst forth, and the dew settles beneath the night sky. Wisdom. Whatever you desire, desire wisdom. Now, we live in a world that is not so full of wisdom. When your options are Biden or Trump, you have wisdom issues. When you've got Putin, who wants to send little missiles, you've got wisdom issues. When, when you're in this kind of political environment, we've got wisdom problems. In fact, I was just thinking through all the fun things that South Africa's done. Do you remember when we got that train from Russia? It was, it was going to be the solution because Transnet had problems dragging all those, what do you call them, the things that lock onto the train, those things. Anyway, they, they were having problems, so they got this incredible train from Russia, cost us millions. We got it here. We got all these engines across here. It took ages. Once they got here, they put them almost onto the tracks, but they couldn't quite fit in the tracks because their wheels were a little bit too wide for the tracks. Wisdom. I, I mean, we could go on. Do you, re- you remember the, the stadium in the uh, uh, Eastern Cape? that they built, I think it cost $150 million. When they got there, there were some lines on the, on the field and there was a pavilion. Like wisdom. Wisdom is just lacking everywhere. But it's not just with our politicians who, who are phenomenal with wisdom lack. It's all of us. I mean, South Africa, I don't want to be insulting, but South Africa is not the wealthiest cash-in-hand country in the world. And yet our credit card rating, our, our, our credit debt is higher than anywhere else in the world. Wisdom. Or, or think about, and the Bible says this, it says, a righteous man or a wise man will store up inheritance for his children's children. So basically, a wise person will be thinking, how am I looking after my grandkids? One of my Jewish mates, his starting place was that his grandfather gave him his first house 
as he finished varsity. So his starting place was generating wealth. And that's, that's wisdom. We're thinking, what shall I do this weekend? Where shall I go? We're thinking, what's the next dopamine fix I'm going to have? Like, let's not claim that we don't all need a chunk of wisdom. And when I say wisdom, I'm not talking about common sense, because some people think when, I, when you talk about wisdom, you're talking about common sense, especially, especially older people. Uh, I'm almost there. Uh, uh, wisdom is of, often inhibited by age. But when I'm talking about wisdom, I'm talking about God's solutions to impossible problems. So let me give you a couple of stories, and, uh, and then we're going to pray for wisdom and then go home. Uh, I have a friend. Her name's Gugu. Gugu got so annoyed by the, the land grab concept. And, and she, her thinking was, we need a system that empowers people to manage their land well. But just taking this person's farm, giving to this person doesn't make any sense. So this is what she did. She bought a 450-hectare farm in Okopo. And then she said, God, help me, because she felt it was in her heart to, to do this, help me with wisdom to manage this in such a way that it's a model to South Africa. So God puts this idea into her heart, put together a very hardcore contract, and give the farmers around the land under contract. And the contract is this. They have to farm it at this standard, produce this much stuff, and if they do it over the next 10 years, the land is theirs. But from day one, they can move on. So she got 30 farmers, 30 guys, to move on to the farms, put the contract together, explained it to them in no uncertain terms. If they were in breach of the con contract, they would lose. They'd have to move their family off. The she'd get another farmer in place. And she turned her 450 hectares into a co-op. And so they started farming for it. She didn't have to farm. All she had to do was manage. And then she realized, man, this is working out so well. I better co-op for the surrounding farms. So she started to get white farmers to bring their stuff, black farmers to bring their stuff. And soon she got to the place where pick and pay was demanding more than she could supply for her farm. Wisdom. That is not a goo-goo is so amazing. That is wisdom dropped down from above. You need wisdom to build a business. You know, 10 years ago, when you built a business, the way you did it was you would systematically put systems in place that would cover every single aspect of your business. And once you got systems in place across job performance and sales and accounts and stock take and all the things, your business was fantastic. It would fly. And then an earthquake happened in Japan and some chip that used to get produced, stopped being produced. And then that affected harbors, which affected, and then a pandemic got involved, and then everything got disrupted. And we got to a place where we just need wisdom because systems don't work in disrupted environments. We need wisdom. You need wisdom. I've been trying to parent. My older sons are creative. I'm A-type personality. He's creative. This is like a war ready to happen. So he comes to me, and he's hating school. I don't know if any parent has ever had their child hate school. But I don't have the wisdom to solve the problem. So I've tried pretty much everything. So eventually I say, God, help. I need wisdom. It's a good prayer to pray. And I feel like God says to me, help him visualize. So I say, my boy, when you go to school today, are you excited about school? No, Dad, I hate school. I don't want to go to school. Okay. I want you to imagine 
imagine, because he's distracted by anything. I said, imagine you're able to just shut the noise down and you listen to everything the teacher says. And then at break time, you've listened so well, you've done so well that the teachers come to you and say, Jordan, your behavior is amazing. And then you get to play with your best friends. Imagine you're not held in during break. You actually get to play with your best friends, and you have an absolute joy with them. Then you go back, and you're able to concentrate. And then afterwards, you go to play cricket, and that guy, Keegan, who's been bullying you, you're able to bowl a bouncer and hit him in the head. And I'm just like helping him imagine the whole day through. I said, my boy, do you want to go to school? And he goes, Dad, I can't wait. I don't know how you parent without godly wisdom because I definitely have read lots of books, but I don't have the ideas to raise my kids. I need wisdom. Wisdom is the thing God says is free. You just got to ask for it. Shall we ask for it? Why don't you stand? We're going to be like Anglican. If you don't want it now, I've done everything I can to make you want it. But uh, so I'm praying that you want it now. So won't you stick out your hands? And as James says, if anyone is in need, ask for wisdom. So God, we come before you. And our starting place is we're a bit off. And we need wisdom. Life is too hard. Our circumstances are too unpredictable. We need wisdom for our marriages and our businesses and our kids and our inheritances. We need wisdom. Amen. Okay, you can go. No, I'm joking. Why don't you grab your seat? Part two. You came for a two-part sermon. I'm going to dive into a scripture written by Paul. It goes like this. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all of God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. My prayer is that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. That the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Just go back to the first part. Uh, next part. <laughs> that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. And then next verse. That the eyes of your understanding may be enlightened. Let me tell you why. Wisdom needs the eyes of your understanding to be enlightened. Because how you understand things will determine how you act on things. Your understanding, your perspective of things is the make or break of your life. If something horrible happens to you, how you interpret that, how you understand it, will determine how you live from it. See, understanding is the truth we stand under. Understanding shapes all of your life. And if you're going to be able to live in wisdom, you have to have your understanding shifted. So let me show you how it breaks. When I was 14, my mom had depression. And uh, people with depression are, are difficult to live with at best. 
And for a little child, often what happens is a little child is you, I mean, she probably had it from when I was 12, 11, 12. What happens is you internalize it and you feel like as a child, it's your fault or your responsibility to make your mom better. Why is she always sad? So I was growing up with this and I began to believe because my grade, what I wanted was a mom to play with. And uh, what I got was a depressed mom. So what I began to believe, I began to believe a lie, that it was my responsibility to fix her so that I could go out and have fun. That lie worked its way through my teens, through my 20s, through my 30s, and it stopped in my 40s. When one day God said to me, why do you think it's your job to fix people? As though you even could. You see, that lie had basically destroyed almost all relationships inside of my life, in my life. Because when you believe that when we fix people, then I can go and kite surf with them, then what happens is every person feels like a project. What is the lie you stand under? You see, Paul, who, remember this, the way Paul met Christ was he was on the way to kill Christians. And on his way to round up and kill Christians, he is met by the glory of God that is so bright that his outer eyes are blinded so that his inner eyes can begin to see. He's blinded, they have to carry him around, but for three days he has the eyes of his heart enlightened, and he begins to see, and in that moment, Paul starts to realize that your outer eyes can actually hurt what should happen and be perceived through inner eyes. And if the inner eyes, the eyes of discernment, the eyes of understanding, the eyes of your spirit are not enlightened, what ends up happening is you live from News 24, and what's said at the bride? And the circumstances around you that don't seem to be adding up to how life was imagined when you were young. And you live from a place of lack of wisdom. Because you can't access wisdom when you're seeing only with your eyes because we're called to live by faith and not by sight. What Paul's starting to say to us is, man, we actually need our outer eyes shut off for a while so that we can discern from our inner understanding so that you'll be set free. Is this making sense? We want understanding shifted. And then he says, because when that happens, you will have three things. You will know the hope of his calling, what God wants from you. You will understand your inheritance in the saints, what God has for you. And you will experience his incomparably great power for those of us who believe. Now, let me tell you how this plays out. So last Friday, um, I, I had gone through a rough week, a couple of things had happened, and on Friday, I had a massive spiritual attack. Now, for those of you not Christian, just imagine that someone broke up with me. But, uh, but this massive spiritual attack, it was, it was so hectic. I just had, so I'm so optimistic as a person, I'm actually painful to be around. 
I'm one of those people. But I just had one negative thought after the next, after the next. Like, why are you in ministry? You should just go back to engineering. Your ministry is a failure anyway. It's never going to get off the ground. You're just not going to move forward, and you're probably going to destroy your kids in the process. Anybody ever had this? Like, some of you are like, yes, no. Can you hurry up and finish so it can be over? It was such a foreign feeling to me. I felt so depressed in the moment. Now, fortunately, I've been around the block a few times, so I knew this was a spiritual attack. It wasn't just someone broke up with me. So I I, I started to go, when you have spiritual attack like this, you cannot fight with emotion. You have to fight with the word. So I said, God, give me a scripture. So he took me to the scripture, and I just stared at it. When God gives you a scripture, you stare at it until it makes sense. And so I stared at it and stared at it, and I started to go, what is the hope of my calling? And I started to remember the prophecies that God had given over me. And I remembered when God spoke to me to go into ministry. And I remembered the dreams and visions that I had for ministry. And, and I remembered some of the lives that had been changed in ministry. And I started to think about this and think about this. You know what began to happen? The depressive thoughts just started dropping away. See, when the eyes of your heart get enlightened, you start to know what God has for you, what he's called you to, the hope of his calling. And it is like a fortress around your mind, and it is like an anchor to your soul, and it'll pull you straight. And God goes, I want your eyes of your heart enlightened so that you can know what I've called you for. And many of you have been called, and there's so much dust on your calling, and pandemic on your calling, and COVID on your calling, and you need to shake it off. Then he says, and you would know your inheritance in the saints. So I had a, a lousy Friday, and, uh, and then I went to a 44th birthday uh, party, and then I woke up the next day, and I went, I've got a wedding today, I'm preaching tomorrow, it's my son's birthday the next day, and there's Mother's Day. And so I said to my wife, babe, we're going to cancel Mother's Day this, this year, to which we got into one of those friendly discussions. And so, so my Saturday was starting off well. And... Uh, And then I went and did one of the most beautiful weddings I've ever done. And I'm busy doing this wedding. And as I end, a little girl comes up to me. I mean, little girl. She's 23, I think. Absolutely beautiful. She comes up to me. And she's, sorry, if you're under 50. Um, She comes up to me and she says, Ross, you probably don't know me. But uh, when I was 17, I started coming to Olive Tree and I got saved there. And, um, and then I kept coming back through Varsity. And those experiences changed the trajectory of my life. And I just wanted to come up and say thank you so much for what you did in my life. You know what that is? My inheritance in the saints. And it is of such deep, great value that when Christ comes back, it will be the thing I value more than anything else because it will be the thing, probably one of the only things that I get to give back to him for all he's done for me. It will feel like the best thing in the world. And when she'd finished talking to me, I'd had such a lousy Friday, I just had to walk around the corner and weep. You have an inheritance. Inheritance in your family, inheritance in the people you reach, inheritance in the schools you're at, inheritance in the businesses you're in. There's inheritance for you of people that God wants you to touch, and it is magnificent. And wisdom would help you see it.
But you also have an inheritance today. You have an inheritance on the earth. It's just not going to matter as much. So this piece of land that's now in my pool, I, I, when I, I cut this platform, the reason I cut it is, is I'd been praying about it. I'd, I walk up to the top of my garden, I'd just pray and pray and pray. And I, I felt like God the one day said to me, what are you going to do with this land? So I said, Lord, you know my heart. I want to develop it. So he said, go for it. And then I said the thing that everyone says, with what money? And I don't know about you, but when I ask God about money, he usually stays quiet. Any of you? You just like silence. And, uh, and anyway, so there was silence. And then two weeks later, a mate of mine found me up and said, what are you doing with that land at the back? And I said, but I want to develop it, but I've got no cash. So he said, I'll tell you what, I'll go in with you. And, uh, and when you sell it or whatever you do, I'll take my cash out. You've got three years to sort it out. And, and here's the cash. That's an inheritance. God has tons of little presents for you. But compared to the inheritance of the souls you touch and the lives that you change and the impact you make for the kingdom, they're going to feel pretty tiny. But they keep us knowing that we have a God who is a rewarder. And they keep us living out of wisdom instead of dopamine fixes. The inheritance and then the power. So uh, my wife has had a wonder for you. She started off in January with tick bite fever. And, uh, and then she was kicked out of the school that she runs a special needs school. She's got 40 teachers and now 65 students. She got kicked out of her premises. So she had to move her premises, and she thought she could buy one, and then she lost it, and then next one, and then a trust was going to give her money, and then the trust said to no to this one, and then yes to that one. And she's just gone through this emotional roller coaster. And then she got COVID because my family like to get COVID, so we've had it three times, all of us. And, uh, and she got COVID, and it was so bad that, um, that then she got a stomach bug, and then she got flu, and, uh, and she was just on a roll, and eventually she started to get better. And uh, I'm just confessing my sin before I saw. So I said to her and the family, come. It is the first time we've been well, all of us, for eight weeks. Let us go and kick a soccer ball around with Geordie, my son. And so off we went to kick a ball. My wife's all into it. She comes flying in and kicks a ball at the same time that I kick it, dislocates her knee, and, uh, and goes flying over. You know when you think in your mind, just put out your hands, put out your hands, put out your hands. And anyway, she, she just kept going. She didn't put out her hands. She landed on her head. It was basically, it looked like a rugby spear tackle. And, and landed up going to hospital. And uh, I, I actually told her I did her a favor because they found her iron levels were very low and they had to put her on a drip. So it was actually a, a gift. But uh, I have watched this beautiful godly woman who has the eyes of her understanding enlightened, lived through what would kill most people with joy and grace, and yeah, a couple of bad days, but the power of God working in her has kept her in a space of just stability and life and joy so that I can say of my wife today, she's good. My friends, there is a power. 
an unexplainable, incomparable, great power to endure and overcome and give life to those of us whose hearts are enlightened by wisdom. Don't you want some of this? So here's what we're going to do. Oh, sorry. She is so nervous. Why don't you give her a hand? She's going to come up and play again. But you're rocking it, girl. Uh, yes, thank you for the half a clap that we almost got there. <laughs> We're expecting the kingdom to come. And so I'm expecting that God will do one of a few things. That he will either give you wisdom in idea form. Wisdom that solves problems that you haven't been able to solve. Or that he will enlighten the eyes of your heart and he will create new understanding about something that you believed a lie on. Or that he will remind you of your calling. Or that he will help you see the inheritance that you have in the saints. Or that he'll put his power literally into your body. These are the things I'm expecting. And so I'm going to ask you to stand and we're just going to play music and no one's going to talk. And I want to prepare you. There are some of you who are going to yawn and your eyes are going to go. Your mind's going to be thinking about what you're going to make for lunch. And there are some of you who are going to be so touched by the power and love of God that you're not going to know what to do. And all of that's fine. But there will be some of you who get words for others who can't get words. And the gift of your inheritance today will be giving that word to someone. So if you're one of those people, make sure you give it. But I'm going to be quiet now. We're going to pray this Ephesians prayer and then we're just going to wait on God. Is that cool? So I pray. To our God of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, I pray that he'll give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation, that the eyes of your understanding will be enlightened. I pray that you will know the hope of his calling of your life, that you will know what the riches of the glory of his inheritance is and his incomparably great power for us who believe. And I ask, Father, right now that your kingdom breaks through.